Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, this is your host, Paul Etzbitter Jr., and I'm here to remind you that if you have access to iTunes, we ask that you rate and review the show. That way we'll be able to climb the charts and continue to deliver bigger and better guests so that we can continue the educated hustle journey. And now, let's start the show. Welcome to the Educated Hustle Podcast. This is your host, Paul Atzbitter Jr. and my co-host, Emilio Porter. Emilio, what's going on, man? Chilling, 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 man. And it's, it's, it's great to be back after the little hiatus for the for the you know holidays last week. But of course, we had to come back the week after and, and continue delivering that that hot fire. But man, it, it's just a lot of stuff's been happening, right? Since since Fourth of July, like a lot of great notable things. We're not gonna get into the pop culture side because you know my co-host is not a big fan of that. But for I think everyone can say that. One of the biggest things that happened is Spider-Man came out over the weekend and it actually has earned the third highest opening for a film so far this year. So props to Spider-Man and I saw the movie over the weekend with my girlfriend and of course my lovely daughter and it is legit. Like they they changed up the whole dynamic. They really made it about Peter being a kid. I don't people who haven't seen the other Spider-Man, he has Peter Parker's kind of like a teenager slash adult. This one is like, he's a full-on 14-year-old. And one cool thing of note that I don't know if they did on purpose, well, I guess they did do it on purpose, but all the love interests are women of color. So there's no white love interests, even though Peter's a, a white boy. So I don't know, maybe that that's, you know, turn a little pot over. But they got there, as, as the women say, uh, melon. Or Milan, or Mil- I don't even know what it is. Melon, I'm Melon, bro. <laughs> or whatever. But yeah, great movie, great cast, and I, I, I can't wait for the sequels myself, personally. I got you, man. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go check that out. I mean, it's kind of, I'm, I'm like a little down on it because I'm like, how are they gonna reboot this movie again within the last 15 years? So there's just so many reboots of it. But hey, man, if you give it that high of a praise, I'm gonna have to check it out, see what it does out there. Yeah, man. I mean, I think the cool thing about this one is they don't really do an origin story. They they expect you to know who Spider Man is. It's like if you've seen Civil War, they just kind of jump into what happened like after Civil War. So there's no, we don't gotta sit through Uncle Ben dying and spoiler alert, or not really a spoiler, but they don't even mention Uncle Ben at all. So we don't even really know if he really even exists. The basic premise is Peter lives with his hot aunt. So that's. I mean, it's it's such. Oh yeah, from the okay, yeah. Gotcha. So it's, it's it's such a dope thing because. Like the origin story that you of Peter Parker that we've been fed over the years is like not really the same at all. Like he has an Hispanic best friend who's overweight and he's a geek as well. And the high school is he that he's in, like Flash Thompson, the bully that you know is Peter's more famous bully, is like a um I don't want to say he's an Indian guy that you, you if you've seen. You've seen movies so you'll recognize who he is but like they basically took all the dynamics that we're used to and they flipped them and they did in a way to where you're not really like oh my gosh what's going on here but it's more like oh that's okay okay so it's dope i mean i think they did a great job with it i think marvel was like yo we get spider-man we're gonna make this like hard to not like and i think they did the job there but you know we're not here to talk about spider-man we're not here to talk about him. I'm trying to see what we were so I can do it all day. But we're talking about instead <laughs> our great guest today, man known as Kill. If you he is such a layered person because there's so much elements to him. And I think one of the coolest things about him is that he has the ability to strike up a conversation with anybody, which he does quite well in this episode with us, right, Paul? Yeah, for sure. I mean Kill is also a producer, um, mainly for hip hop music. And he's a hip-hop historian. I mean, he drops knowledge about, you know, the original people who dropped music back in the day. Uh, he's very 
affluent about producing. He knows the history about who produced for what rappers, how the producer was the, you know, in the beginning was the headliner next to the MC. So he kind of goes in and teaches you about that information. Also, how nowadays producers can, you know, kind of learn on without even knowing like some kind of instrument they could just kind of go on their ipad download an app and learn that and become a producer so he kind of talks about how that changed the game and if that is ruining the game of producing or if it's you know just part of what it is today so there's a lot of a lot of topics that he talks about and uh he was an interesting person to talk to and dropped a whole lot of knowledge for y'all Yes, a whole lot. And then the also cool thing about him, he's also a fellow podcaster. He is the host of Apartment 5B, him along with some other people in his crew. And that's a podcast in particular where they like to discuss unpopular black opinions, usually in the form of hip hop. So he'll say like an album that the majority might say is real cool, but he isn't feeling that. You know, to give you some hot takes, one of his hot takes was, um, Kanye West, 808's A Heartbreak isn't a good album. I've heard people have that take before, so that's, you know, that's not that hot to me, but this one might be interesting. I know my co-host knows it, but Kill actually believes that Lauryn Hill isn't actually that dope. So I don't know if that's fighting words or whatever, but if you want to hear how he defends his, uh, his, um, statement, you gotta listen to his, um, show apartment 5b unpopular black opinions you know the great show great cast definitely in a drove conversation and one that'll make you think like hmm, he might be on to something right there well i agree with number one where he says kanye 808 isn't a good album because i have not listened to that album since it has been released and i don't really have any kind of craving to listen to that album again but that lauren hill man i mean she only really dropped one album but uh, at least one solo album, at least. So I mean, uh, it was a it was a classic though. So I I don't I, I guess I gotta check out that podcast, see what he's talking about because <laughs> I definitely don't agree with that uh, hot take at all. My favorite phrase has lately been sent. Show me the receipts, and that's what Paul was saying <laughs> right there. <laughs> show me the receipts. But no, I mean, oh, like man. I said, he he does a lot of great things, and one of the cool things about him is he's a very big person in his community. He's given out free haircuts to kids in the community who are doing well by at least raising up one letter grade from where they're at. So he's not expecting like, you know, an F student to go to an A, but if you're an F student, you climb up to like a D or a C. He rewards you. He's also rewarding other young men in the community who necessarily don't have the money to get a haircut, but have a job interview coming. He's trying ways to make sure that they look right for the interview. Like he's really having a big helping hand. And it's, like I said, it gets lost in all the layers he's in because there's so much stuff that he, you know, has a hand in, but he's really is a great guest of people in the community. And he definitely Definitely, definitely taught us something. Yeah, man. And I'm looking a little scruffy right now. So it's about <laughs> time for me to get that haircut, you know? You got a little bit of a job interview coming up. <laughs> <laughs> got to go to Philly. Shout out to Kill and uh, get that haircut, you know? <laughs> but nah, man, Kill kills, kills, kills it on the on the uh, episode today. And uh, it's just, it was a pleasure having him on. And I, I think you guys are going to learn a lot. Exactly. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Now presenting Mr. Kill. All right, folks, and today's guest, we have Kill, the producer. Kill, how's it going today? Man, everything is great, man. I just, you know, again, thanks for having me on the show, man. It's always a blessing when um, people want to talk to you. So I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. And I kind of wanted to, you know, get things started off by asking, you know, what was the moment that you realized that you wanted to be producing? Oh, man, it was probably back in 87, man. I'm old. So it was back in like 87 and I was in West Philly. I'm from Philly. And um, I was at my man Hollis's crib and just seeing all the equipment. He had a S950 sampler and I don't even know what kind of drum machine he had at the time. But just seeing him be able to put together the sounds and just being able to create music. I just knew right then that I was like, yo, I, I definitely want to want to do this. So that was like the moment that I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is what I want to do. That's dope. And that's, that's kind of cool. Cause you know, that, that feeling of like seeing something in action and knowing like, this is where I want to put my you know work in, especially when it comes to life. That's credible. Like there's a lot of people who don't really get that sensation. So that's, that's really nice and incredible that you're able to get that at such a young yeah. age. But I got to kind of ask, you know, it, it's something that's really not talked about in the game, I, I believe, but 
what is your opinion right now on the current state of a rapper slash producer's relationship right now? Obviously, some people kind of feel like producers don't get a lot of credit for, you know, making that beat that a lot of rappers come on and, you know, spit their legendary wordplay on. What do you kind of believe on that relationship being as producer yourself? I mean, I think the the relationship has just changed over time. You know, there was a time when, you know, it was DJ Jazzy, Jeff and the Fresh Prince, or Eric B and Rakim, when the DJ or the producer was more out in front. And then, um, you know, just as time went on, the MC just, you know, became more important uh, than the producer, you know. And um, also just, you know, things are always changing. So you had the aspect of um, in my day back in 92 when I was at Morgan and I, you know, was trying to hustle to get money for equipment. Back then you had to really want to produce beats, you know, because it costs like two, $2,500, $3,000 for a drum machine, you know, whereas now you could just buy an iPad and you got GarageBand and, and everybody's a producer nowadays. So I think it's kind of changed because you don't really have too many times when it's one producer and one MC. And I think that synergy um, is so important. You know, I always uh, say Illmatic ruined hip hop because it kind of gave everybody the recipe to, you know, uh, I call them value mill albums. It was like, oh, I could get two Premiere, three Extra P, two Pete Rock. And that's how albums started to, you know, get made. And that's how all the sounds of hip hop started to blend together. So um, I really wish we could go back to those days of it just being the MC and the producer and you guys having that synergy together and actually being in the studio with each other at the same time because of technology, you know, I can send beats to, you know, I'm working with a cat right now in um, Columbia, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's like, you know, now that's great because it could never happen before, but there is something about being in the studio with the MC as the producer and just talking about life, you know what I mean? One of the dopest interviews I've read was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis talking about how, when they first linked up with Janet back in the early 80s, they just hung out for two weeks, you know, and, you know, she didn't even know they were crafting music. And then when they went in and she heard Control, it was like, wow, I love this. And he, they was like, yo, we just listened to what you were saying for the past two weeks, just getting to know you. And this is how we were able to create this incredible album, because we actually took time to listen to you and get to know you. And we heard what you wanted to say and what you wanted this album to be. And to me, that's why it's one of the most incredible albums ever. You know, so I would love it to go back to that. But I think technology is, you know, it's just always easy to say, hey, I'm in L.A., you're in New York. Let me just, you know, you know, send space, you some beats or drop it in a Dropbox instead of actually being in the studio together, vibing off of each other. And I think music, you know, takes a back seat, And I think it's hurting because we don't get more of that. Woo, that's a whole gem filled answer right there. And yeah. And I think uh, you touched on something. Uh, so touch on something I never really thought about. Um, so everybody talks about how Illmatic is kind of like one of the first, you know, uh, classic albums of the 90s. And it's crazy how you said that it could, it had a you know negative effect as far as producing goes. I didn't really know that there was a, a kind of a shift in how albums were made after Illmatic. So um, I guess could you kind of uh, give us the blueprint of how albums were made uh, before that was it just one producer per album well what it was is you know back in the mid 80s mid 80s early 90s you know each producer kind of rocked only with a certain crew so molly molly mall only did beats for the juice crew so he only did kane biz shante cool g rap master ace um the bomb squad only did public enemy uh beats for public enemy herbie lovebug only did beats for dana dane kid and play salt and pepper so like each crew had a main producer you know epmd you know eric sermon only did beats for epmd or people red man and his crew so back then that's why a lot of hip-hop didn't sound the same because each crew had their own sound prince paul did the stuff for daylight out in long island and you know tip did all the stuff for tribe and queen so everybody had their own sound but then after Illmatic came out and truth be told to give props to the youngsters, their album was actually the first one that didn't. It just, just didn't blow up enough because their album, The Aftermath, had Pete Rock, uh, Premier, The Beat Nuts, um, KG from Naughty by Nature at the time. So they were the first ones to really do it, but didn't blow. But so when Elmatic did it, I think it let people know, like, oh, snap, you know, I don't have to just go to one producer for beats. I can I can reach out to Q-Tip. I could reach out to somebody else. And that's why coming into the 2000s, it became like, oh, I could just get three Timberlands, two Just Blazes, three Kanye West, and two Ninth Wonder Beats, and there's my album. But 
that sound now is all getting blended together, you know? So that's kind of one of the, you know, Illmatic was an incredible album. I'm in no way blaming it for that, but it kind of, you know, switched the way that people did beats. So when people say, oh man, everything on the radio sounds alike, or everybody sounds alike, that's why we didn't hear a lot of that in the 80s and the early 90s, because again, you know, people only worked with certain people, you know? And then two, more money came into hip hop, in the mid nineties. So then producers started saying, Hey, I, I just don't want to work with this cat's budget. Cause I got, you know, somebody else over here throwing a check at me for $50,000. And, you know, I'm, you know, so it kind of money and Illmatic kind of shifted the way that, you know, music was hip hop music was made. That's crazy. So it's kind of like the, it, it enabled there to be super teams and raps. Basically everyone was taking their talents <laughs> somewhere. Great analogy. That, um, that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. Dope. So, I mean, as, as you know, current day producing, like, do you do you feel that producers should be given more credit for their work? Um, Definitely. Definitely. Um, I think one of the hard parts about production now is, like I said early on, in any type of arts in the in the early 90s, if you wanted to be a photographer, you know, it cost a whole lot of money to go out there and buy a DSLR camera, whereas now you could just go in Best Buy and get one for four hundred dollars. You know, if you wanted to be a DJ, you had to have the two turntables, the mixer, the speakers. But more importantly, you needed the the vinyl. You needed those records, you know. But now with Serato, when you could just download anything and spend it now, everybody's a DJ. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where <sighs> the hard part is, is just because it's everything is so easily accessible now it's 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 so many more producers it's like if you're getting married and you want a wedding photographer a real good wedding photographer may charge you two three thousand but then you could have some dude who just brought a camera from best buy talking about i'll do it for 300 and you're trying to save money but i'm sure your pictures aren't gonna look as nice as the other one so it's kind of like because we have so many different producers out there and everybody's produced. And I always tell people when I was at Morgan from 92 to 96, there was like 10 producers on the entire campus. Like if you wanted beats, you had to come to one of us. Whereas if I go to Morgan right now, it's 10 producers on the first floor of one, you know? So the problem is, is, you know, say you guys want to make an album and, you know, you like kill yo hit us with a beat. And I'm like, all right, well, 500. You're going to be like, oh, I don't have 500. I'm in college or I'm working. So I'll just go to this, you know, my man down the street who, you know, just started making beats. And, you know, I'll do that. Or I'll go on YouTube and, you know, now they, you know, you could just rip an uh, instrumental off of YouTube. So, you know, you can just rhyme over that. We're back in my day, again, going back into the 90s, like you had to find a DJ who had the instrumental for you to rhyme over. And and back in those days, that wasn't even a demo. You couldn't be like, oh, I'm going to rhyme over a common beat or a Jay-Z beat and present that to somebody as a demo, whereas right now you can, you know. So um, I think that's one of the reasons why producers, it's funny, we are like the last ones to get paid. I've been in studio sessions with people like, yo, man, I can't afford this beat. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll chop it up. We'll make something happen. And then they're like, oh, yeah, but I got to pay the videographer $800. And I'm like, well, why the videographer get paid? <laughs> you know, like, like, whoa, 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 you talking too much, fam. But but it's like because now visuals are actually more important, more important. People don't just want to hear the audio. They want to they they're visual now. So they want to see the video. So the video is actually more important than the song. Somebody would rather rhyme over, you know, a Drake beat. Um, and have a dope video to go along with it, then the rhyme over an original beat and not have a video go with it. So, yeah, I, I, producers, we're definitely getting the, the short end of the stick right about now. I hear you, man. But, you know, I, it sounds like you're very knowledgeable. I'm sure you're making it work. You're making it as neat. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of dive a little bit more into the business side of producing. Um, so could you kind of discuss, you know, how it works to be a producer? What's the business model look like? And how do you actually become a producer as well? Um, well, number one, the business model is always changing um, because of streaming now. That's taking a lot of money out of the industry. Um, I actually just signed up for Apple Music. One of my homeboys finally convinced me to do it. And in doing it, it just almost depressed me because it's like, why would anybody buy anybody's music anymore if you can pay $9.99 and just have access to every album except Jay-Z, unless you're on title, you know, um, why would you buy the music? You know, the average consumer isn't going to do that. So because of streaming um, and artists not getting a lot of money, you know, producers aren't getting a lot of money. So, you know, the business now has changed so that, um, you know, 
you you're getting you you're getting a small amount of money. You know, you're seeing more of those producers that were in the 2000s who were like A-list producers, like Timbaland and Just Blaze, who were you would hear them every song on the radio. You don't hear that anymore. You know, I'm seeing Just Blaze is doing a residency in Vegas as a DJ now. So people are trying to those producers are trying to find different ways to you know, continue to make money because the industry is always changing because those were the producers who were getting $100,000 for a beat. And those days are like long gone, like you're not getting a hundred, nowhere near uh, that much for a beat anymore. So, you know, they're trying to find new ways. You know, I saw something the other day. It's like Q-Tip is DJing. I'm like, who who doesn't DJ? Talib Kweli is DJing. Like everybody's a DJ now. So, you know, everybody's trying to find different ways to make their money. And as far as how you become a producer. I mean, I think, you know, it's going to sound crazy, but uh, Stefan Marbury said once, you know, back in 96 when he got drafted, that point guards are born and not made. And I believe that's like the same thing with producers. I believe producers are, are born and not made. It's kind of, you know, anybody can go out. I can tell you right now, yo, go get you a machine, you know, from Native Instruments for $500 and find a nice loop, you know, to just loop up and throw some drums under it and you can call yourself a producer. But, um, you know, I just believe you've got to have that ear. I think the most important thing about music is having that ear to be able to, you know, hear, um, you know, the samples or be able to, you know, play, of course, if you if you can play instruments. But, you know, it's really what your goal is. You know, if your goal is to become one of the greatest producers ever, then you you definitely have to sit down. You got to do your knowledge. I mean, back in the 90s, I used to every Wednesday I'd get off work and I'd come home and I would listen and study one of my favorite producers albums. I would put on main sources, breaking Adams and just listen to it on repeat for hours to hear how large professor was, what he was chopping, you know, what kind of breaks he was using. Um, who else was out at that time? Like who was this quote unquote competition in 91, you know? Um, and really, I really took the time to really study uh, the game. And I think that's the thing that if you really want to be a great producer, you want to sit back and study the greats and study the game. Um, but I just think a lot of people just, you know, see production, they they think it's a lot of money in it. So it's just like, hey, let me try it. And because, again, it's so cheap now, um, like I said, in my day, if you spent $5,000 for equipment, you was going to figure out how to be a producer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Whereas <laughs> now, if you just get an iPad and it just so happens to have GarageBand and you tr you make a few beats and uh, I can't sell them, oh, okay, well, I'm not a producer anymore. You know, and it's no biggie because you really didn't invest anything into it. You didn't invest your money. You didn't invest your time into it. So um, to be a producer, I just think you've got to have that air. You've got to want to do the knowledge and, and do your homework. And, um, you know, of course, you know, get that equipment. A lot of gems there. A lot of them. I, I want to get on the soapbox with you. I, I, too, am not a fan of streaming. I understand why it's needed, though. I mean, you know, people want to, you know, get access to services that, for that low fee of 9.99 to get some access to but i really do believe it does hurt the artists like you said and i mean i'm only one person but if if i like an artist and i like their album i buy it i, I like to do my what i can you know um but that's neither here or there <laughs> um obviously you're very very knowledgeable on a lot of things when it comes to music you're producing and you kind of take that knowledge with you when you host um shows so you're currently the host of corner radio and the numbers on the board podcast can you kind of tell our listeners what they can expect from those shows when they um in? they can expect just dope conversations man and the funny thing is i just um actually changed the name of the podcast from the corner radio to apartment 5b um my mother-in-law just passed away two weeks ago in harlem and um, to do as a dedication to her and to keep her name alive, I, she used to live in apartment 5B. So I actually um, just changed the name as a dedication to her. But, um, you know, to what they're going to get is just dope conversations. You know, the one thing I try to do with my podcast is stay away from what everybody else is doing. So it's not going to be the podcast that's going to be talking about, you know, the new news. This is the, my podcast is not where you want to come. If you want to hear, you know, what's the new single or the new gossip or the new rumor, it's like, nah, like, you know, we're always doing things like um, hip hop. What ifs, you know, what if large professor produced all the Illmatic? Would it still been a five mic classic? What if Tupac didn't get shot in New York and accused Biggie 
of of shooting him you know what would how would that have changed hip-hop you know um it was a uh, back in the day ll cool j was supposed to get the beat for peter piper from run dmc but run used it first you know and you know questions like what if you know peter piper wasn't in run dmc's discography are they still as big as they are now or you know we, i'm just always you know the blessing is is so many people i chop it up with hip-hop about so many people on a daily basis that at least once a week i'm gonna find a, a topic to talk about that's different from anything else. The last week's show we did was unpopular hip-hop opinions. You know, I, I was on Twitter one day, and I was just like, you know what, Low End Theory, Tribes, Low End Theory is not a five-mic album. And, like, my timeline just blew up, like, Kill You Buggin', it's five mics. So, you know, we do topics like that. So, um, you know, so it's always the unexpected. You're not going to, you know, turn, tune into any other podcast and hear these conversations you know one of our most popular shows we did a march madness bracket of hip-hop groups and we we broke it down to you know eventually who would be the the champion and who was in the final four and it was dope because people was like oh my group didn't make it or why is this group ranked so high or so low but i'm like if you follow if you follow college basketball that's usually what happens on selection sunday everybody's mad because their team didn't make it or their team they think their team should be ranked higher so you know the more people complain the more i know i got it right because that's how selection sunday is so just always dope conversations man we've been blessed to be able to chop it up with um, A-list producers like Bink, who's done stuff for Jay-Z, Kanye West, John Legend, Prince Poe from Organized Confusion, has chopped it up with us. Grap Lover, Pete Rock's little brother, is always a guest on the show. Jake One, a producer out of Seattle. We actually just had PJ Morton on, who's an incredible, incredible R&B producer out of New Orleans. Um, we had Tracy Lee on a minute ago because we had done a show on uh, hip-hop, one-hit um, one wonders who didn't deserve to be. So basically cats who may have only had one album out and it was really dope, but then we never heard from them again, you know? And then what I, from the people we named on that show through Twitter, I started reaching out to people and we got Tracy Lee on the show. Uh, again, we got Grab Lover on the show. Um, so we're, you know, those are the things that, those are the type of conversations you're going to hear. And I always tell people, you will never walk away without learning something. There's never a show that we do that I don't learn something or somebody else on the panel doesn't learn something. I'm not going to waste your time. You will learn something during those podcasts. I agree, man. And um, I wanted to know before I jump to my next question, who uh, who won the, the March Madness tournament? What group won? Outcast won. Outcast. I was about to say, man, Outcast. I mean, I know they from the South, but they they ain't nothing like Outkast. Yeah, I think Outkast is my personal favorite hip hop group of all time. I like wrote like an eight paragraph piece on my on my website about why. Because I always tell people we can argue opinions all day, but I like to argue facts because you I like to talk facts because you can't argue them. You know, it is what it is. So, um, yeah, Outkast came. I think it was like Outkast tribe run dmc and i think a gangstar was like in the final four of it you know but it was dope it was it was dope you know a lot of people downloaded the bracket and you know everybody was kind of tweeting me or you know texting me or dming me you know who their final four was so it was a dope you know definitely i want i want the show to be interactive so we always try to do things like that to get you know the people who listen to kind of join into the conversation too Okay, and that's dope. And and you said like you find something for your audience to learn every episode. And I I checked out one of your shows, and you guys are talking about you know did sampling uh sampling Clarence change hip hop? And right. I thought it was a really interactive, really thought provoking show because I never really thought about you know how sampling can have an effect on the on the game. So can you kind of break down? you know, what your thoughts are about sampling and how it changed the industry? Yeah, and it's crazy because I did that show because I didn't understand it. I always heard people saying, yo, sampling clearance killed hip-hop. And I'm like, but people still sample. Like, so, and those are the things, too. Like, I'll do a show like, okay, let me get some people who, you know, are on Twitter, invite them on the show. Like, explain this to me of how, how this happened because MCs are still sampling. Jay-Z's album that just came out is like a sample on every song. So how did it kill hip-hop? But through the conversation, we realized that it really didn't kill hip-hop. It just changed the way that people made music. Um, back in the early 80s, you know, there was there's actually a book called Creative License, The Law and Culture of Digital Sampling by um, Kimbrew McLeod. And um, he's basically talking about how public enemies, it takes a nation of a million to hold us back. And Paul's Boutique 
by the Beastie Boys, how those albums could not have been made in today because the sampling would have cost just too much money. Um, in the early mid 80s, early 90s, a lot of, you know, we didn't know about sampling. This was a whole new like form of law that we had to learn about. You know, people were just sampling old records and, you know, the people who they were sampling really didn't understand it. The law didn't understand it. So but what eventually happened is you would have groups like Public Enemy that may take literally like 10 samples to make one song. And that just can't happen nowadays because it would cost over probably a million or two million dollars to clear all these samples because now you you know um the artist or and the, and the sad part about it is a lot of the artists that hip-hop you know produces sample the artists that we sample don't even own their publishing you know so it's not even going to the artist a lot of times you know they may have sold their publishing kind of like how doc sold his publishing to easy e for a chain you know maybe an artist we're sampling from the 60s sold their publishing because they were hard up for money and the record label offered them some money and they sold their publishing but now that people know you know they just now know that i can you know go after you for this amount of money and i can go after you for you know this amount of money or we can ask for this amount of money i mean if i sampled one of you guys i mean it's your music you could sit back and say well kill i want two hundred thousand dollars and i want you know half the royalties from the song that's that's a lot of money to you know to sample one song so you know i'm gonna have to either come up with the money or say nah and then try to find another sample or try to find a workaround jake one one of the producers i was saying was on the show he has a guy who's a, a ill musician. I forgot his name, but what'll happen is a lot of times he'll take a sample and take it to him and pay him to replay it in a way that it still sounds like the sample, but that he won't get sued. Um, but then again, you still need money for that. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of how sampling has has changed the game. And in, in the mid-90s, they actually would hire producers like me. Record labels would hire producers like me to go after these artists. So, you know, it'd be like, hey, Kill, listen to this new Gangstar album. You hear any samples? I'd be like, yeah, uh, this, you know, Gangstar's, you know, Master Pill samples, Vic Juris. Then the lawyer would then, I'm sorry, I said the record labels. I'm sorry, lawyers would hire people like me. Then the the lawyer would say, hey, Vic Juris, did you know that Gangstar just sampled your song and they just sold 100,000 records? Do you want to take action, a, a suit against them? So, you know, it it again, like I said, it was a it it's always that's the thing with the music industry is always changing. And like I said, at the end of the day, we realized they really didn't kill hip hop, but it definitely changed it. When Pete Rock did Mech and the Soul Brother back in '93, he may have used four samples to make one song. But then by the time 1997 came around for his album Soul Survivor, 1998, he was now really more so just using one sample per song. So um, you know, and that's what it helped. And that's what I mean by the show. I learned that through my own show by the guests I have on my show. So that's why I'm always like, you're going to learn something new. And I'm like, wow, I never realized that because I felt like Pete's beats were dope in 92. They're still dope in 98. But one of my guests, Nick, who was on, you know, he kind of broke it down. And I was like, wow, I never even realized that. Yeah, Pete went from using three samples per song to just one sample per song. So that's kind of how it changed the game. Man, that's informative. I I think we all learned something today just hearing you uh, speak on it. And that's great that you have all this knowledge because you also use it when it comes to helping people in life. So you actually are also a mentor. Yeah. Could you kind of tell us as a mentor, like, uh, what's the common roadblock that you see a lot of young men in your community? Face? Just the fact that there's no men in the community for them to look up to. Um, I've been working with youth in Southeast D.C. Um, for over 17 years. And, you know, it never ceases to amaze me from 2000 when I started to 2017. Now, it's just no men, you know, um, in 2001, I was at an elementary school, John Tyler in Southeast. And the principal was like, you know, Mr. Kill, can you, you know, try to get some men to come out? You know, we were trying to have a Father's Day banquet or, you know, salute the fathers, but there are no fathers, you know, and that was in 2000. And I still had the same problem in 2017 um, working with kids. You know, we tried to do a when I first started working in the community I'm at now, it's called Wellington Park. Uh, I was like, you know, let's do a family tree. And it really hit me because, you know, the kids were like, you know, Mr. Kill, I don't know who my dad is. You know, I've never met his family. So, I mean, I could do the family tree with my mom, but I can't complete this family tree. You know, or I've had kids say to me, you know, hey, are there, are there any mentors in this neighborhood for you? Or any men that you could look up to? And they're like, you mean men doing the right thing? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, nah, not at all. You know, so it's hard to 
learn how to be a, a positive young black male when you don't have any positive older black males around you to help you kind of show you the way and show you how to do things. So that's probably the number one biggest thing. I always tell people when people ask like, all right, kill, like what could change the hood? Like what could do it? You know, get rid of the drug dealers or get rid of this. And I'm like, yo, give me a man in each house, you know, a man and a woman and eat in a, in, in a house on one accord. That'll change the whole neighborhood because nine times out of 10, if you looking at a housing project, you talking four or 500 units there may only be about 10, 20, 30 drug dealers. So if there's a man in every apartment, they outnumber the drug dealers. So I'm not worried about the drug dealers. I'm not worried about any other stuff. If I could get a positive man in each one of those houses, and and, and like Chris Rock said, nothing should scare a young man, and I'm going to tell your father, <laughs> you know, but a lot of mothers can't do that. Half these mothers don't know who the father is. So you can't say, I'm. you know, the biggest threat in my day was, I'm going to tell your father, you know. But these kids, you can't, they, these mothers can't say that anymore. So that's the number one thing that, that I feel is like the roadblock for a lot of the young men I work with. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a heavy, uh, heavy burden to, to kind of carry. I know I was kind of reading a book uh, this week, you know, by Dr. Boyce Watkins about, you know, getting more families involved in black communities and creating that community of, uh, you know, creating that community so that we can uplift our people because, you know, nowadays it's, it's, it's like you said, man, there's, there's a lot of missing role models out there. And, uh, I think we just gotta, you know, pull our resources together and really focus on our, on our youth because that's really what's going to change the future. Yeah. I always tell people, if you don't want to work with these root youth, one day they're going to be robbing you. So you pay now or pay later. <laughs> my man always taught my old head taught me that you can pay now or pay later. But when you pay later, it always costs more. You know, so you can pay your bill now on time or you can pay it a month late. You got that late fee. So you could you could spend some time and work with these kids now and try and pour some knowledge into them. Or these will be the same kids who, you know, when they're, you know, uh, you know, revitalizing uh, D.C. and tearing down all the projects and sending all these people from the hood out to the suburbs. Now, now them kids is breaking into your house out here in the suburbs. So, you know, you, you're going to pay, pay now or pay later. So, you know, it's like just trying to get more people to, um, you know, come out and volunteer in the hood. And the blessing has been um, a lot of people who I've met on Twitter have actually come out to the neighborhood. Black men have come out to, um, you know, help me. So that's always a, a great thing, you know. I agree, man. And, you know, one of the one of the ways I, I've kind of got involved with, you know, your work and found out what you do is, um, you know, I read this article on the Huffington Post about, you know, you giving free uh, haircuts to men with job interviews. Um, I wanted to know, you know, what was your thought process behind putting that um, promotion piece together and how did the community kind of react once they kind of saw your feature uh, in the Huffington Post? I mean, the one thing is, I, you know, the blessing was I didn't do anything. That was Twitter. Um, I always post pictures of, you know, me cutting the kids hair or saluting my kids, um, you know, and for some reason, this picture just kind of blew up, you know, um, it got like, you know, 20,000 retweets and so many likes and everything. I have no idea why, you know, it's just God in action. And then the Huffington Post reached out um, and asked for the interview. Um, and, and that was a blessing. The funny thing is, is nobody in my neighborhood reads the Huffington Post. So, <laughs> you know, nobody in the hood, you know, even even saw it, you know, anything like that. But, um, you know, the the idea behind it was just, you know, um, I cut hair. Um, I taught myself, you know, back in Philly, you know, I've been doing it 30 years and, you know, when a lot of my boys, you know, in the, in the hood, you really don't have a lot. Education is really not one of the things that's really, you know, looked at as, as a big concern in the neighborhood. So, you know, I was just sitting here thinking like, what would have gotten me to just pay more attention in school? And it was like, yo, if I could have got free haircuts, man, I would have been an all A student. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> It kind of started off like telling my boys, well, if you get on the honor roll, you know, I'll give you free haircuts. But I learned you have to, you know, work with people from where they are. You can't be an all left student and expect this kid to now be on the honor roll. So it kind of grew from, you know, being on the honor roll to getting your grade up one, um, you know, up one letter. But then I realized, well, that's only every quarter. So then it just dropped down to if you just pass a test, if you can just show me that you 
pass the test with a C or higher, then you could get a free cut. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then it kind of just grew from there because um, there was an organization that we partnered with who did um, a men's leadership class every Wednesday and they lost their funding. So they had to pull out. So some of the men who were in that class stepped to me and was like, yo, kill, would you be willing to lead it? And I was like, hell yeah. Like, yeah, no problem. That'd be an honor to do it. Um, and then I've started, I've been doing that for a year leading this men's group. And during one of the um, groups, the guy was, one of the guys was saying, you know, I got this interview coming up, but man, I just, you know, I can't afford a haircut right now. I was like, man, that's nothing. I, I'll cut your hair. And then it kind of just started going from there. So, you know, um, you know, just working with the men on resume tips, interview training, things like that. But just more importantly, just, you know, what it means to be a man, because, um, you know, especially in, in, in neighborhoods like the one I work in, you know, the, the, the definition of a man is just how tough you are. Like, you know, do you bust your gun? Do you beat people up? Do you, do people fear you? And I'm, you know, trying to break down that mentality of that has nothing to do with, you know, being a man, you know, and um, I'm constantly always challenging them because, you know, most men don't want to, you know, be preached to and everything like that. So like every, and I do this with my teens too, like every, men's group starts off with like a sports analogy like we'll be talking sports and i'll be like yeah you know it's crazy you know i'm like yo the redskins been losing for forever like would y'all ever stop being redskins fans they like nah never kill you know i'm i'm loyal to them till the day i die and i'm like well why are men more loyal to their sports teams than we are to our wives and our families you know and then that'll start the conversation you know and it, it helps them see like damn i am more loyal to a team than I am to my own family. You know, I'll go out and, uh, you know, tailgate and pay all this money for these tickets. And I'm like, when the Redskins win, you don't get anything back but joy, you know. But doesn't your family bring you more joy than that? You know, so I'm always just trying to find ways to get them thinking about ways that they can better themselves, better their relationships with their significant others as well as with their children. Well, it got deep there for a second. I was, I had to sit in my mind and think about some things, <laughs> but we I, I definitely appreciate, definitely appreciate that. Wow. Um, got to go right back into it because you know you you're a man of community. You're, you're always leading the new fight on against just some um, different things, and you actually have coined the term um, hashtag to give back. Could you kind of tell us what sparked that movement and what what are you basically how are you encouraging others to join in? Um, I think what sparked that movement is just the thing that I'm just a given person. That's just the way um, my mother raised me. So whenever I see somebody with a need, I'm always thinking, like, what could I do? Like from the smallest thing, I took my daughter and my wife to Rita's the other day and uh, the cashier had a little, you know, a tip box like, you know, help me pay for my books. And I'm like, wow, you're like, what could I do to help Shorty pay for her books? Like, you know. So I'm always just thinking of ways to help other people. And it's crazy because the off my office is right across the street from the Capitol in D.C. Of course, my community center is in southeast, but my office is um, in northeast. And every day when I'm getting off at the tunnel um, to get off for my um, for my exit, you know, it's a homeless shelter right there. So I'm always thinking like, yo, what could I do to kind of help, you know, homeless people? And then my man has sent me a tweet the other day with this guy cutting a homeless person's hair. And I was like, that's it. Like, yo, okay, let me partner with some um, homeless shelters and see if, you know, I also do marriage coaching too and like relationship coaching. So I'm like, yo, maybe I can get out some of these homeless shelters, cut hair, but then while I'm cutting hair, also be leading a session on, you know, just trying to get them out of the situations they're in or, you know, just being content with the situations that they're in. And, um, you know, so that's where the give back kind of came from. And then the way that I'm just trying to spread it is just really through Twitter. I mean, social media, I think, is such a beautiful thing if we use it right. You know, I think a lot of people, I don't want to coin it as wrong, you know, following your favorite celebrities or whatever, whatever. But I'm like using it to connect with people and, you know, get down with guys like you and like minded people like so. Just the other day, like uh, one of my followers that said something like, hey, Kill, I'm in Minnesota, but yo, if you do this thing with the homeless, you know, let me know and I'll fly out. And I was like, I'll do you one better. Why don't you try to mirror what I'm doing in Minnesota? You know what I'm saying? So 
you know, if we can get like-minded people in different communities and, you know, I don't care if it's just in one community, it's two or three barbers who are doing the same thing I'm doing, you know, I would love to give back to just, you know, be across the United States, be across the world if we could. I mean, we had that movie a minute ago, Pay It Forward, and, you know, that was really dope. You know, that was inspiring to me to, you know, just know that there's such the, some of the smallest things that we could do for somebody. Like, cutting hair for me is nothing, you know, so, but it's just amazing how that can make, you know, I'm sure y'all feel it when y'all get a fresh cut you feel good about yourself you know what i mean you know you feel like you ready to you ain't going out you know to the club or going nowhere without a fresh cut you know so it just makes you feel better so i mean if making you know men feel better i mean giving them a haircut i mean that's nothing you know so prayerfully more people will you know catch on to it and you know we hashtag everything else you know so we hashtag that and prayerfully more people will mirror it you know that would just be dope man I agree with you 100%, man. The fresh cut, I don't know what about it is, but when you get out that chair, you look at that mirror and you yeah. see that lineup, man, you feel yeah. like the most competent person in the world. You feel like you can you can take over the world, man. You know, <laughs> and, and and more importantly than that, when when you when you get out the chair and you know that you got the cut because you got a better grade. Like one of my teenagers, he was a lot of times doubt himself. And he's actually the reason why I started taking pictures, because what my plan was, was that every time he would doubt himself, I would go through my phone and kind of scroll through to let him see, look at all these times I cut your hair. Each one of these haircuts meant you passed the test. So every time he would kind of feel down about himself, I could just take out my phone and show him like, nah, fam, you can do this. You know what I'm saying? And it's that visual tool of like, man, I didn't realize you've been cutting my hair for so long. I didn't realize I... Got so many here because I have kids who come in every week and get a fresh cut every week because they they are passing the test every week, you know. So it it definitely is helping them, man. Hey, man, we appreciate that. And oh, sorry, Amelia, you was gonna you was gonna jump in. I was just gonna say, you know, we got we gotta use this to harken back to one of our own friends who who's also a barber to get old, look good, feel good. You know, definitely inspires you to go out and do yeah. more. I agree with you one hundred on that, man, and um. I was going to say, you know, you do so much community work. Um, I wanted to know, and you, you also told that beautiful story about inspiring somebody out in Minnesota to kind of start doing their own projects for themselves. So I wanted you to kind of maybe give some of the blueprint to getting involved in the community. Like, what does one do to make their community a better place? Where do we start? Um, I mean, I think for a lot of people who are like nine to five workers, you know, I always challenge people like, hey, like, you know, whatever city and, you know, Google nonprofits in, in that city or whatever, you know, I'm always about what speaks to your heart. You know, I have a big thing for homelessness because I've been in situations where me and my wife both got laid off at the same time, you know, and not too many of us are, you know, to a point where, you know, we're good to go if something like that happens, you know, and it was a blessing that, you know, family and friends stepped in and helped out. But I mean, to be truth be told, not, you know, we're all probably about a good two to three, four paychecks away from being homeless ourselves. You know, so it's kind of like to me, whatever speaks to your heart. So if homelessness speaks to your heart, you can literally I mean, hell, we use Google for everything else. You know, Google homeless shelters in your city and figure out ways that you can volunteer or if working with kids speaks to your heart. You know, Google, you know, nonprofits, you know, that are working with kids that you want to work with or if working with sick kids, you know. So I think the first thing is kind of figuring out what speaks to you, because I really, truly believe that. We need to be in certain positions. You know, it's almost like with sports. You know, you don't need a two guard at your point guard position because that point guard has a specific task to do in order to make your team win. So I want people first and foremost to be in the right position where they want to be. Like if you have a thing for working with homelessness, then you don't need to be working with kids. You, you know what I mean? So, you know, it's really at finding out and doing some soul searching within yourself what you want to do and literally like people always say Google is your friend, you know, and, you know, every nonprofit trust and believe is looking for somebody to volunteer. They don't care if it's an hour. They don't care if it's once a month, you know, or every day, you know, so getting involved, you know, a lot of times people think it's very intimidating or I don't know what to do. And it really isn't. Sometimes it's getting involved is just if you see some kids in your neighborhood not doing anything. You could kind of be like, hey, you know, just have a conversation with them. You know, a lot of, I'm 43, a lot of people my age and older are very apprehensive about talking to these teenagers because it's like, ah, you know, I don't even want to deal with them. They, you know, they disrespectful, 
woo, woo, woo. And I mean, that's true. They are. But, you know, if you talk to them in a, in a respectful way, you may, you know, actually start to get in the air. So, I mean, it, it's very simple. It, it's a very simple thing to do. It is. And that's great that you're leading the movement. But, man, Kill, you've been phenomenal. I think you've just thoroughly educated us, like, on all these facets that I didn't know about, even when it comes to, like, music, but also just doing better in the community. Like, you really have put it into a great perspective, and we appreciate you for it. Sadly, we have to get to the famous Educate Us with Two-Piece time, which is, of course, though, the final two questions. The first one is always easy. How can our audience connect with you? Oh, that's easy. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at KIL889. Um, and my website is willmakebeatsforfood.com. Um, my podcast is Apartment 5B. We have new episodes every Monday on the website. Usually on Wednesdays, I have something that I've written, whether it's a, um, a review or it may be, you know, something like why Outcast is the best group ever. And then every Friday, I have a free mixtape that um, folk can get on and stream. It's everything from, you know, the best of Timbaland. I do a lot of best of the best of Kane, the best of Mob Deep, things like that. But then I also do, you know, throwbacks to 80s hip hop or 90s hip hop and things like that. So Twitter is like my my thing. So that's always the best way to get at me. Good, good. Good. So people got options. And with those options come a lot of resources and perks. Great to hear. So now the last question, no pressure, just the last question that our audience is going to hear from you today. But could you leave us with some imparting wisdom? Um, I guess the, the biggest thing is, is kind of like what I was saying earlier, is just if everybody would take a little time to do a little soul search and, and just figure out what you could be doing for somebody else. Because I feel like we're all called to be servants, you know, and even in marriage, a lot of times people go into it. A lot of couples that I coach, you know, it's like, well, what is he doing for me? And what is she doing for me? And everything like that. And I'm always teaching them like, yo, we're, we're supposed to be servants to each other, you know, and I feel like we have to be servants, not only to our own family, but to other people, you know, it's funny. It's like, I believe when you're walking in what you're supposed to do, it kind of, it's going to sound corny, but it's almost like what, uh, what uh, Charlie Murphy was saying about Rick James. Like, it was just the glow to him. Like, it's just the glow <laughs> when, you, when you're doing what you're doing. Like, just being at Six Flags today, you know, like, two or three kids asked me to help them. And my daughter was like, Daddy, do you know these kids? And I'm like, nah. They're like, well, why are they asking you to help? I, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, one little girl's like, can you help him get, get this little boy off of me? And, you know, and I just think when you walk in where God wants you to walk, it, you know, there's, it, it's a shine to you, you know. So, you know, I just always challenge people. And that's all it always is. I'm never like, go do this or go. It's just a challenge. You know, some people accept it. Some people don't. It's all good. But I just challenge everybody to really figure out what could they be doing to help somebody else today. Cause so many of us, myself included, we get caught in up in, well, what this person doesn't do for me and what I'm gonna get from this and what I'm gonna get from that. Some days we just have to sit, step back and just, you know, become a servant. You know, it could be something as simple as buying somebody's coffee in the morning. That could make somebody's whole day, you know, and, and you don't even really have to, you could just tell the cashier, like, boom, here's an extra five, whatever the person want behind me, it's on me. You know, and that can make a whole person's day right there. So that would be what, what I would leave folk with. Boom, boom. I mean, I feel like you just let off all the sparks right there. That's a good ah. Uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> that is a great thing. We really do appreciate you having you know coming on the show today. I, I think you've really been amazing. I'm sure our audience is left with a new piece of mind of thinking things. I know I've left with a new piece of mind. I have my notebook here. I just had to write in some gems for myself to go back and reflect on. But we really do appreciate you coming on the show today, Kill. No doubt, man. I appreciate again. It's a blessing when anytime somebody wants to talk to you. So I appreciate it. And there you have it, folks. That was Kill, the producer, giving us that hip-hop knowledge and also spreading that community joy. Emilio, what you think, man? Man, it's, it's always great when you get a guy up there who, you know, self-proclaimed, he's self-proclaimed old head, spreading his knowledge and spreading, you know, he's spreading a lot of information, truth that we didn't know about. And the cool thing about that was it really, I feel like if you did listen and you, you came for, the, you know, the producing aspect, the, 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 the committee aspect, and of course the culture that you learned a lot. And it's very dope to have people like him who not only have their hands dabbling in, in the music industry and, you know, the currentness that comes with that, but also trying to make the community better and help uplift black people. And I think it definitely hits a note. 
about him saying the lack of fathers in the urban community and you know me recently becoming a father I you know extra little pinch of that because you you do realize that um people need father figures I'm not gonna say you know necessarily um no no shade anyone that you know doesn't have a father but you you need one you need a father figure if this can't be your birth when you have to have someone that you can look up to it's just it's just how it goes you need the two perspective no matter what your child is you you need a male perspective form so they have something to establish and relate to um but it's such a growing big need and especially in the black community where just so little running around and you know it's that's one of the ways that you really have to help kids get on the right path they need those two figures a mom and a dad or, or someone who can represent both because you know i'm sure the studies will show that if you have those two figures in your life you know your your chance for success already increases tenfold but i mean it's, it's really great having kill on here and breaking down dad and breaking down the music industry and i really think he you know schooled us one time i agree man he uh definitely showed us the different aspects of producing the different aspects of sampling how you can become a producer nowadays all you need is a, is a beat machine yeah. and uh an ipad and you, you can call yourself a producer yeah, but pretty much you, yeah so but he does he does it more you know he's more of the you know i already studied the game i study the game every day like even though you know there's people in here that come in and out of the game he's gonna last because he's got all the tools to make yourself successful and he studied it for a long time so that he's mastered his craft so uh, definitely definitely shout out to kill doing his thing on the producing end and bringing a new perspective to educate hustle exactly exactly and the cool thing about him is you could tell he's learned to adapt he didn't sit by and wait for his time to be over what he adapted put on some new things learn some new tricks and that's how he's able to as you say last and be all about that longevity but alas let's get into our favorite moment of the educator experience well, I should say, your favorite mother, moment of that experience. How you, yes, you, can reach us. Educators reach through a variety of different means of social media. We are on Snapchat at Educate Hustle. That's all one word, Educate Hustle. There you can follow us. You can see behind the scenes snaps, little inspirational things to get you throughout the week. And, of course, get you inspired. We are also on Instagram at Educate Hustle Podcast. Once again, that is Educate Hustle Podcast. There we post pictures, photos, reminding you of our episode for the current week inspirational quotes from guests and sometimes if you're really lucky and you're good paul will give you some curated inspirational quotes to get you by you can also like our page on facebook it's real simple just type in educate hustle two words you know you reached the right page because you'll see that logo that you guys all know and of course by now love now i gotta take a break from that plugging to go into some more plugging if you have not already please 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 rate and review the show the reviews are pouring in we're seeing the increase and we thank you so much everyone who has done it but for those who haven't we're asking where you at where you at please 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 Rate and review is just a simple process. All you have to do is go to iTunes Podcast, Apple Podcasts, it's called now. Search Educate Us for two words. You'll see our logo. Click it, and there'll be free columns. The middle column says review. Hit that one. Write a review. All you got to do is rate us five stars, five stars, five stars, five stars, and once again, five stars. And then you have to write a title of the review. Your review itself, it could be something long and sweet as it's lit, fam, or it could be something short and simple as yo i hopefully you don't put hopefully you don't put yo but if you did put yo that would still count but let the let the five stars show with that yo that you're yoing for a good reason anyways please if you have not read and review it helps increase the awareness of the show helps get us more viewers and by getting more viewers we get better guests and by getting better guests we make better shows so if you have not already please rate and review us on itunes and now to go back into our initial plugging if you have not already, please follow us on Twitter at Educator underscore Hustle. Once again, that is Educator underscore Hustle. There we do daily interactions, tweets, and of course, try our best to let you know what's going on in the Educator Hustle universe for that week. And then, of course, last but not least, if you really feel like Educate Hustle made a difference, really made you want to go out and do something, really go and take the borders of life, or you just want to collab, do not... Hesitate to email us at educatorsofpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is educatorsofpodcast at gmail.com.
Yes, sir. And as always, bro, you got to lead us out, man. Lead us out. People, 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 once again, take the time to go out and do amazing things. It is such an inspiring time to do it. Um, I honestly just want everyone to go out, like I said, conquer, take what you got, live life by the horns. You know, if you can and you have not stopped by your local YMCA, your local community shelters to figure out how can you get involved in the community? How can you get involved in making maybe a child get on the right path to do something great? You know, it's think of all the people that helped you get to where you are now and what they mean to you and think that you could be that person for someone else. So please, please, please go out, seize the day and do what you can and make your community just a little bit better. Yes, sir. And as always. You got to stay educated and keep hustling. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.